Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in. Are you? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF and find my weekly fantasy rankings along with some other good stuff at thefootballgirl.com. Week six was pretty interesting in a non-interesting sort of way. Uh, We had a lot of high-scoring fireworks in the first five weeks of the season. Week six was sort of a down week. Uh, And mind you, I'm talking about fantasy scoring here. There were actually 50 or more points scored in five of the 12 Sunday games. So it wasn't as if defenses completely dominated the week, but it did seem like a lot of high profile fantasy performers fell short of expectations. And it seems like most fantasy lineups included at least one or two of those players. So I don't know about you guys, but in my league, some pretty mediocre point totals were good enough to win games in week six. Uh, And look, I'm not bitching here. We are in the middle of a worldwide pandemic and just got a full slate of NFL football on an October Sunday who can possibly complain about that? Well, other than the people who started Alexander Madison yesterday, of course. And I want to welcome in this week's guest, Donkey Teeth of Razball.com. He is an editor at Razball. He hosts football and baseball podcasts, including the excellent Donkey's Advocate Micropods. Uh, and he's also a pretty damn good golfer, as I recently got to witness firsthand. Donkey Teeth. First of all, welcome to the show, my good man. Secondly, did you have Alexander Madison in any week six lineups? Hey, Pat. First off, thanks for having me on. It is an honor to be on your podcast. Very excited. Um, I had Alexander Madison in one lineup, and it was just a, it was a team. It was a deep league that I had drafted him in. So felt like I, I mean, obviously you had to start him if you had him. I did not pick him up on any waiver wire, so I didn't have that kind of disappointment. But uh yeah, tough week. I mean, you'd think that against that brutal Falcons defense that he'd be primed for, you know, high-end RB1 point total, but it just didn't happen, did it? No, it didn't. And that's the thing you mentioned it. At least you had him on your roster already. I mean, he was such a bear trap this week and kind of a double whammy in a lot of season-long leagues because he incinerated a lot of fab money last week and then went out and laid a complete egg. So he kind of burned people two ways. Uh, yeah, man, I did not have him in any, any lineups and I'm certainly not gloating about that. I mean, I had him ranked running back five for the week, so it's not like I thought he was going to do badly. Uh, just didn't happen to have him on any rosters, really more of a fluke than any reflection on how I felt about him. And it was weird. I, I only played one DFS lineup this week it was for this weekly contest that Fantasy Pros is running for its fantasy rankers. And I cashed in that one for the first time all year. And I don't necessarily think it was because I picked a great lineup. I mean, I had the Ryan Tannehill, AJ Brown stack, and that was about the only thing I connected on. But I was probably one of the few people who didn't have Alexander Madison in that lineup. So I think I simply just avoided stepping into a big gopher hole that probably 50% of the field or more broke their ankles in. So whatever, the Vikings are on by in week seven and Dalvin Cook is expected back from a groin injury in week eight. 
So no one has to think about Alexander Madison for a while. Uh, but I know a lot of people are going to have the Kansas City Chiefs backfield on their mind this week. Uh, the Chiefs signed Le'Veon Bell last week after his release from the Jets. The Bell signing came as most unwelcome news to everyone who went all in on Clyde Edwards-Alaire. But how upset should the CEH owners be? I mean, tell me, DT, what is your take on the Chiefs' backfield? Uh, do you think Clyde Edwards-Alaire is still going to be a lead guy, or do you see this as more of a 50-50 split between CEH and Bell going forward? You know, it's tough. I, I think we're all kind of guessing at this point. My my lean would be towards CEH still being the lead dog. I think he takes a little bit more of a hit if you're in a, a standard league or even a half PPR, full PPR. I expect Clyde is, I think he's still going to be in like the second round, maybe late second round value, whereas I was thinking he was kind of a first rounder moving forward still. So Le'Veon... You know there's the upside there with him, but he's he's really a total wild card. His head doesn't seem quite screwed on straight, so he could just come in and be a total headache. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Um, oh, and by the way, people, as an important caveat, uh, Donkey Teeth and I are recording this on Monday afternoon, about two hours before the start of the Bills-Chiefs game. So please understand that if something we say on this seems egregiously stupid based on Monday's results... Uh, it is because of the timing here. Or we're so, at yeah, least going to blame I, it on that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, this could be uh, all for naught if uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, you know, tears his meniscus or something. But um, I, I kind of, I tend to think it's going to be like that too. And that Le'Veon is just going to be sort of a Daryl Williams plus sort of playing that third down role. And, um, you know, maybe they will give him a little bit more leeway to stay in there if, if he's the hot hand at a given time. Um, you know, certainly not good for Clyde's fantasy value, but not a complete, uh, not something that is going to completely torpedo him, I guess. So you're kind of on the same page with me on that one? Yeah, it, it might actually be a decent time to, to float some buy low offers out there on Clyde. Yeah, I know there are a lot of people freaking out about him. Um but uh, I think more than that, the Clyde owners are maybe more realistic than the people who are like falling all over themselves to get Le'Veon now. I mean, I think they're envisioning, you know, these uh, dreams of Pittsburgh era Le'Veon on uh, in an Andy Reid offense with the Chiefs and, and Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, I just don't know if we're going to see that. Um, it does seem like kind of the... It seems like kind of the uh, uh, novice type take that Le'Veon is suddenly a, an RB1. Yeah, I think he, he could have his games would be my expectation. He's going to have maybe a couple two touchdown games, big Le'Veon games. But the consistency is just, I don't expect it to be there. Yeah, you know what it is, dude? People want to freaking overmanage in season. You know, I mean, so much of fantasy football managing is like you draft and yes, you pick up waiver guys. But for the most part, you know, it's... It's an inert hobby. You're not doing much. You're kind of sitting back and just watching your guys and watching things play out. And like people want to have this uh, belief that they can just like, you know, manage like crazy and, and that'll get them a winning team. Like if they work harder than everyone else, uh, you know, it's going to lead to wins and it just doesn't work that way, man. So, you know, people overreact to tidbits of news like that. They think Le'Veon Bell is this 
panacea for their, you know, two and three fantasy team. And uh, I don't know, man, I just don't think that's the case. Um, which kind of leads me to another guy I want to ask you about. Uh, let's talk about Lamar Jackson. So he opened the season with 275 passing yards and three TD passes against the Browns in week one. And since then, five straight games with 204 or fewer passing yards. He's averaging 172 passing yards a game over those five games with seven TD passes over that stretch. And now some people are going to say that the passing numbers are just gravy for a guy like this who might be the best running quarterback in NFL history. But if you took Lamar in the second or third round of a fantasy draft, I think you were counting on at least average passing numbers. And we're not really getting that from Lamar so far. And though we did have 108 rushing yards and a touchdown on the ground Sunday, boy, it would have been another disappointing day for him were it not for a 37-yard touchdown run. So going into Monday's games, uh, he was 11th among quarterbacks in fantasy points per game, less than a half point ahead of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Clearly, this was not what Lamar Jackson investors were hoping for. So DT, how should we value Lamar going forward? It's uh, it's a tough situation. I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's in that that upper tier anymore. As uh, unfortunate as it is for his owners, the, the I mean, you you brought up the rushing numbers, and that's that's always going to be the key for him. And his usage has been down in in the run game. They they haven't necessarily needed it. You know, they're they're five and one with what they've been doing. Uh, they brought it out this week against Philadelphia. Um, but uh, I am hesitant to think that that's going to be the norm moving forward. I think my valuation of quarterbacks right now, I'd have uh, Russell Wilson and Mahomes in their own tier up top and then kind of a second tier of uh, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and, and Kyler Murray. Uh, is that kind of uh, what you're thinking? Yeah, it is actually. Uh, I think Lamar would be in that second tier. You know, and, and certainly a different setup than we were envisioning with Mahomes and Lamar. And this, there was a debate actually. And I know a lot of people, including me, I had Lamar as the QB1. Um, you know, I just, such a unique cat with his running ability, you know, and there were just enough, enough flashes of him becoming like at least a league average passer last year. And I just, I don't know, man, it hates. Uh, I hate to see it like when he has a bad game heads up against Mahomes, and, you know, suddenly everyone is just dogging him. Um, but I will say this, man, and, and this is probably the most, uh, I don't know, pessimistic thing I can think of with regard to Lamar Jackson. So pretty mediocre passing numbers so far. And those, his schedule so far have been Chiefs, or I'm sorry, Browns, Texans, Chiefs, Washington football team, Bengals, Eagles. So not exactly a murderer's row of opposing defenses there. Coming out of their week seven bye week, Steelers, Colts, Patriots, Titans, Steelers again. So, man, that's going to be a tough five-game run. And if he is just putting up these mediocre passing numbers against you know a run of pretty average defenses, not much reason for optimism coming out of the bye week. So um, I don't know. I mean, if you can find anyone looking 
for a QB upgrade and, uh, you know, perhaps having visions of 2019 with Lamar Jackson might not be the worst idea to move him if you could. Um, I don't know. So let's talk about uh, someone who's given us slightly, uh, a slightly better return on investment so far. I know you were pretty high on Stefan Diggs before the season. So how high were you on him? It, well, you know, the, the check's in the mail here, uh, Pat. I, I'll i fess up. I, I asked Pat to bring this up because Stefan Diggs, I was the highest on Stefan Diggs in the uh, the Fantasy Pros preseason draft ranking. So, you know, it's the only thing that I got right this year. So I got to bring it up pretty much any chance that I get, Pat. <laughs> so what, what did you have him ranked? Uh, I had him ranked number 12 uh, amongst wide receivers. Yeah, that was aggressive for sure, man. I mean, it seemed like he had dropped to this place where he was going in some drafts, like as late as wide receiver 21, 22, 23. And uh, like he was a guy I wasn't super high on and, and did not have ranked highly enough, but wound up getting in like some best balls and, um, you know, a couple season long leagues just because he fell so far to the point where he was just kind of a screaming buy. I mean, what made you so optimistic he was going to click with Josh Allen and Buffalo? So, you know, I was thinking about this. It's kind of threefold here for me. Number one being that uh, the Bills paid a ton for him. So in terms of uh, draft capital that they gave up to get him. So he was obviously going to be a big part of the offense. I mean, you had to know that anyway. Uh, number two, I think that uh, I was big on Josh Allen coming into the year. I, I felt that he was being severely undervalued based on this narrative that uh, he's terribly inaccurate. I mean, he's inaccurate. We we all knew that he was inaccurate coming in, but he's two years into his NFL career. He's still really young. He's never had an elite wide receiver like Stefan Diggs. I mean, he's been he's been working with no offense to, to John Brown. He had a nice year last year and John Brown is what he is. He's a solid receiver, but in, in his rookie season, he made do with Zay Jones and Kelvin Benjamin. And uh, yeah, last year he had John Brown and uh, Cole Beasley, but to put Stefan Diggs in, in that group of wide receivers is just, it's, it's he's in a whole, a whole different world of talent. So that was the second piece was that I expected Josh Allen to take a step forward and giving him an, an elite weapon to, to work with, I think is a huge step for him. Uh, one other thing on Josh Allen, he, he had the highest rate of drop passes last year with the bills. And I'm not sure anybody was really looking at it. There was just this, this uh, crowd of guys carrying pitchforks against Josh Allen coming into the season. And then third, Stefan Diggs, we all know that he was unhappy in Minnesota. So just getting out of that seemingly toxic environment for him, for whatever reason, I think was something that was just a weight lifted from him. He wanted to be that guy. He wanted to be that number one. And uh, Adam Thielen always seemed to be Kirk Cousins' guy. So I, th- I, I just saw it as the perfect storm for Stefan Diggs. And I didn't understand why he was being valued as like a, a low-end wide receiver too. Actually, he was being valued as like a wide receiver three at drafts. Right. And uh, just a couple of years ago, it seemed like he was a guy who was being taken like right around that uh, round two, round three turn, sort of in the teen range at wide receiver, maybe like 13 or 14, and kind of in the same area Thielen was going. But that's the thing, man. Think about that. Two months ago, 
people were probably valuing Kirk Cousins and Josh Allen as like similar quarterbacks in, in terms of the value they could provide for a fantasy receiver and how ludicrous that seems now. And um, yeah, man, you, I like what you bring up about Josh Allen. And I did intend for this conversation to be more about Diggs than Allen. But since we've gone there anyway, um, just that I don't think people were throwing that out in his defense, that he has not had some uh, very good receivers. And, and maybe it's out of respect to John Brown, because John Brown is a very, very good NFL receiver, you know, not a star level guy, but certainly a quality like second wide receiver. Like if you've got a Diggs Brown combo, you're pretty happy. Um, but yeah, he did not have that star level guy. Uh, and also just the learning curve, maybe of a quarterback who played at Wyoming. You know, I mean, he's uh, maybe needed a little bit more of an NFL adjustment than others. And, and people were sort of writing him off as a guy who wasn't going to be able to approve. Yes, still make some pretty inaccurate throws. That's always going to be part of the package, I think. But um, yeah, man, he and Diggs have been making some beautiful music together so far. All right. At the top of the show, DT, I talked about how many name brand fantasy contributors fell flat in week six. One guy who most certainly did not fall flat and who pretty much guaranteed victory this week if you had him in your lineup was Derrick Henry, 212 rushing yards, 53 receiving yards, two touchdowns. This was actually his third straight game with two touchdowns. And I have to admit, I've been very, very reluctant to fully buy in on Derrick Henry because I'm just stubbornly predisposed to fade running backs who aren't very involved as pass catchers. Were you a Derrick Henry believer entering 2020, a skeptic, or somewhere in between? Yeah, I fell I fell into a little bit of a gray area here on Henry. I wrote an article uh, over the winter, kind of a dynasty valuation article on Derrick Henry, looking at the massive workload that he had, because he did get close to 400 carries last year when you take into account the big workload that he had in the playoffs. So that was my main concern. You know, I... I I've never doubted his ability to do what he does as long as he could stay healthy. And so in this article, I, uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me uh, at the moment, unfortunately, but I went through all the players over, I think it was the past 10 years that have accumulated, I think it was like 360 or 380 carries in a season or more. And it was, it was kind of like uh, about a 50% rate of guys being able to to do it in consecutive seasons there was uh, a handful of guys that it was just a total train wreck where they had season ending injuries really early but uh there's three guys that seem to stick out to me well now three guys if we're including derrick henry but it's zeke and adrian peterson they seem to be just the the freaks and with the you know the jury's still out on zeke when you and I actually golfed, I remember when we golfed, you were about to do a draft with Andy Barons, and we talked about you were looking at Zeke. It was a super flex league, and you had pick three. And uh, I told you I was a little bit concerned about the workload. And at some point, it seems like he's bound to break down with the amount of carries that he's accumulated with the Cowboys over the past couple of years. But I, you know, there's this, these guys like Adrian Peterson that just seem to be freaks and seem to be immune. Their bodies are just built for this type of wear to go up against linebackers and get in the trenches and and take 25 30 carries a game and have no problem with it and I think Derrick Henry might be that guy and that's kind of what I speculated in the article but 
I was by no means all in on him. Um, it's it's really tough to tough to figure out how to value guys, running backs in general. I mean, we know that it's just one freak play and there goes the knee like happened with Adrian Peterson, uh, whatever, 10 years ago now. So that's kind of where I was. I believe in him. I'm still a little bit hesitant with the amount of carries that he takes that that uh, something something can happen in any play to a running back. So, but I guess when we're trying to, we don't want to overthink it with the with the injuries because it could happen in three years, you know. Right, and uh, I'll be honest with you, that was another factor besides his relative lack of involvement in the passing game. Just that with these major workloads piling up and especially what he had as a workload last year with all the extra carries and and touches he got in the playoffs. I mean, just a a sick kind of the the sort of workload no one gets anymore. So I was a little worried about that. Um, Obviously, he looks just fresh as a daisy and uh, to to have been nervous about that just seems kind of absurd now. it's kind of funny, like when you looked at comps, I don't know how far back you went, but um, I don't think we even have to look beyond the franchise to see one with Eddie George, just this uh, another huge physical running back who, uh, you know, had these mammoth workloads year after year after year. And, and George did keep it going for a reasonable amount of time. And it was just sort of a when he did start to lose it, it was sort of a gentle fade, I think, rather than a complete collapse. So. Um, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe Henry can do another three or four years of, of these massive workloads and huge rushing numbers. Um, and by the way, for the record, Donkey Teeth, after that day we did golf and I had that uh, super flex draft, I'm in a league with Mike Tagliere and uh, Andy Barons, Michael Beller, some other guys in Chicago. I did, in fact, take Zeke at number three and bypass uh, Lamar. I think Mahomes was off the table, but I did pass on Lamar Jackson. And I was telling you, I had a feeling it was going to come down to Lamar versus Zeke. And kind of glad I did. Um, Hey, let's talk about Raz Bowl. Speaking of of leagues that we play in, uh, let's really bore the shit out of listeners here. No, just kidding. Um, But some listeners might not be familiar with Raz, Raz Bowl. So can you explain what it is, first of all? Oh, man, Pat, it's been a while since I've given my Raz Bowl pitch. It was a... I, I had it dialed in in the preseason when I was making appearances on shows selling the Raz. It's so it's so unique. So um, there, this is an industry contest that we've created over at uh, Raz Ball, and this is year two that we're in. Pat has played in both of the the first two years, and um, there are twelve team leagues. I think we had I don't know 20, 22 12 team leagues this year. There's an overall champion. These are the first nine weeks of the season. It's a best ball competition. So I think we had a 20-round draft. You start one quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, two flexes, no defense, no kicker, uh, and best ball. The the computer selects your best lineup each week for the first nine weeks. Um, Then starting in week 10, it's playoff time. And the bottom six teams in each league are eliminated. They're not in the playoffs. Top three teams in each league go to a championship bracket. The next three teams in each league go into a consolation bracket. And then it's a three-week first round of the playoffs. And a certain percentage makes the 
quote unquote cut line uh, from the championship bracket and moves on to the next round. The rest from that championship bracket that don't make the cut line move to the consolation bracket and a very small percentage of the consolation bracket gets to move up into the championship bracket. And then from there it's uh, one week rounds moving forward until the championship, which consists of, I believe 10 teams in that final round in the championship bracket, whoever has the most points wins and it's, it's weighted in the playoffs. So your first nine weeks don't just go out the window. They're weighted to a certain percent for the playoff uh, rounds. And so are each round of the playoffs. So um, other wrinkle, there is a minimal fab. We get $10 fab. So unlike your normal best ball leagues, you've got $10 minimum $1 bids to make changes. Kind of we created this to allow you to cycle out dead roster spots. We wanted it to be a very, low maintenance league because we know all these industry people that we've invited to play in it have you know 20 leagues like the rest of us so we didn't want to add more to the plate uh, just allowing if you got dead roster spots throughout the season to to add players so i think that is the gist of uh the format did i miss anything there pat no, I think that's it. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned the fab since, uh, you know, as we joked about before, I was uh, doing pretty well in year one. And, uh, you know, then I, I didn't realize that we had this minimal fab. I was just, you know, the dumbass who didn't read the league rules and uh, missed an opportunity to plug some gaping holes in my lineup. And it kind of cost me down the stretch a little. Uh, what kind of start are you off to? this year so far well i just pulled it up here i am in sixth place in my league i've got uh i've got a pretty strong team i feel like i did start with lamar jackson so that's not going great but i have Tannehill as well so and it's optimal lineup so the computer is selecting Tannehill for me so that helps uh miles sanders you know what really helped me i landed james robinson in the first fab period so that that is really carrying my team but i'm feeling good i'm feeling uh, like I have a, a contender team. Uh, but I was also looking at that Lamar Jackson schedule that you brought up. I, I didn't realize, I saw that he had the, the gauntlet coming up with the Steelers and Colts and Patriots. I didn't realize that he had the Titans and then the Steelers again after that. So not making me feel great about Lamar Jackson moving forward. I, I don't know. I've, I've also got um, Antonio Gibson at wide receiver. He's a wide receiver eligible in this one. So that's that's fun too. But one thing before I, we jump over to your team, Pat, I wanted to mention if, if people do want to sign up for next year's, because I didn't say this is a uh, fan competition as well. I think we have it at three industry quote unquote experts and one fan to three to one ratio. So there's nine experts, nine experts to three fans in, in each league. So if you want to sign up for next year's uh, you can just get to the sign up sheet by Googling 2021 Raz Bowl sign up. And uh, there's a form to, to fill out. And then we do a fan lottery. So I uh, just had to get that out there. And how's your team going, Pat? Yeah. And by the way, that's really cool. Like as with the Scott Fishbowl, uh, the Raz Bowl does reserve spots for, for fans. So um, which is always cool. And, and like the fans, I'm always amazed at how well the fans do in these leagues relative to uh, the so-called experts, like often better in many cases. Um yeah, so far I'm okay. I, I think I'm, uh, depending on how things go tonight on Monday, I've still got a lot of guys left to go. I've got Kyler Murray, Kenyon Drake, Steph Diggs, uh, CD Lamb. So I think I'm going to be somewhere between second and fourth in my division. I think I was second last year and or uh, last week, and I'm probably going to hold on to that. Thank God, DT, 
that you guys still uh, categorized Antonio Gibson as a wide receiver in this? Because I'm okay at, at running back with uh, Joe Mixon, Jonathan Taylor, Kenyon Drake, uh, kind of a mixed bag, but feel okay about the position. Um, you know, other than Diggs, I mean, it, it's been Diggs and Antonio Gibson, and then a lot of whiffs at re- receiver with uh, Juju and Deontay Johnson. Yikes. Uh, Paris Campbell got hurt. Golden Tate might be washed up. Um, you know, I'm trying to add some receivers through waivers this week. Um, and o- okay, otherwise, you know, I've got like uh, Kyler Murray and, uh, oh man, I can't remember who my other quarterback is. Maybe no one good, but uh, TJ Hawkinson and Dallas Goddard at tight end. Like it's a decent team. I, I don't know that it's any sort of powerhouse and I don't know if I've got any sort of viable pathway to a serious title run here, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm fairly satisfied with it. It's just never a comfortable feeling when you're weak at wide receiver, I guess. I have the same, I have the same issue myself. Uh, I've got Cooper cup who, you know, I, I think that he's going to bounce back. He's coming off another dud here and it's kind of been the, the Robert Woods show to a certain extent there in, in LA, but he's my number one. And then I got Gibson and, uh, I have Golden Tate as well. Emmanuel Sanders, who was on by this week. Christian Kirk, Nikhil Harry. I did land Tim Patrick, which is looking nice. Uh, Brian Edwards is kind of looking like a dud. So, yeah, it seems like we kind of took the same approach. I do have Travis Kelsey still to go this week, though. Uh, but, yeah, feeling pretty pretty good at running back, as long as Miles Sanders is okay. We, we didn't even mention that he's dealing with a knee injury. He's going to have an MRI today. I don't know. They haven't had any results back on that, have they? No, uh, I know my buddy, uh, Ed Porras, who does uh, fantasy uh, or fantasy injury analysis for Fade the Noise. He thinks it might be a torn meniscus, So there, which would be if they did the, the quick cleanup surgery, maybe he misses two to three weeks. So uh, that's tough, man. In the heart of bye season, it's really tough, but that is better than, you know, the alternative in a, a season ender. So yeah. Um, it's too bad, man. I mean, he had really gotten it going and, and back-to-back strong games against great run defenses, uh, Steelers and Ravens. And, I mean, he was one of the few things the Eagles offense really had going their way. Um, oh, hey, by the way, so a lot of people are going to be wondering. All right, so you go by uh, the handle Donkey Teeth in the fantasy content realm. Um, can I give people your real name? Is that okay? Yeah, Sure. Okay, reveal the alter ego. The uh, is it's Clark Kent, ladies and no, it's uh, it's Ryan Fay. So uh, Donkey Teeth is Ryan Fay. And um, all right, when I played golf with you, I certainly did not notice anything unusual at all about your teeth. They seem pretty standard size to me. So why do you go by Donkey Teeth? Well, you know, I think that Donkey Teeth is a, a name that that sticks out from the crowd a little bit. I don't think people are going to forget uh, that guy Donkey that gave them terrible fantasy advice. <laughs> but uh, I started, I started doing this actually on the baseball side. I was a, I've always played fantasy football, but I started a fantasy baseball podcast, and uh, we ended up rolling over into football. And I started it through a, a chat room. And I, you, I don't think you play baseball, so you may not be familiar with Lenny Melnick, but he's kind of one of the the fantasy pioneers. He's on Sirius XM. I think he covered fantasy football. Oh, yeah, I do. So it was his chat room. Yeah. He's got a uh, a website and 
<laughs> Lenny is he's a real character. You can show up on his website and uh, there's just a chat room sitting there. Any time of the day, you type a message in and Lenny will show up and he'll just start talking to you about whatever the heck you want to talk about. So I created a username there and it was Donkey Teeth and I picked up Donkey Teeth from uh, Key and Peel skit. I don't know if you've ever seen the East West Bowl where Key and Peel come on and they just make up all these ridiculous names uh, and act like they're on Monday Night Football uh, coming on saying their name in their college. And Donkey Teeth was one of the characters. So that's where I came up with it. And I just carried it with me as I got into the fantasy sports industry. Oh, nice. That's awesome. And uh, I do know Lenny. Yeah, I've played fantasy baseball for a long time, uh, longer than I played football, believe it or not. And uh, Lenny is a legend for sure. He is uh, he is a true fantasy baseball diehard. Um, so Razball is kind of this underrated outlet for fantasy content, both football and baseball. And it seems like you guys go for a different sort of vibe there, like you guys are funny and a little irreverent, yet the analysis is is serious, heavyweight stuff. So how did you end up at Razball, and what is it like to be on the staff there? Uh, so as I said, I started with Lenny on his website and uh, a podcast in there. And one of the guys that also started a podcast with Lenny ended up uh, meeting some people just through Twitter and ended up writing for Razball. And they asked us if we were interested in writing. And started writing over there and then they wanted to pick up our podcast and I just uh, rolled over into the football side and started growing and now I'm editing the baseball and the football and uh, I really enjoy it. But um, yeah, it is a little bit different. You know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, data driven stuff out there. There's, you know, a lot of dry fantasy content and I feel like uh, Razball has its own niche where there's a humor to it. You know, Gray is a comedy writer by trade. He uh, wrote jokes for Kevin Hart and some other comedians. So he's actually a professional comedy writer. And uh, there was a writer strike. I, I can't remember, maybe 10 years ago or something like that. And he started writing about baseball. And uh, I started reading it from from the start. I just love uh, his voice that he's got. Uh, you're right. Able to put in um, fantasy knowledge, but it's always lighthearted and, uh, self-deprecating at times. You know, we never like those, um, fantasy analysts that just, uh, think they're above everyone else and, uh, become defensive when they get questioned and stuff like that. And it's nothing like that, Razball. Um, so that's what kind of drew me there. And actually I started writing, uh, midway through last year, I started writing game recaps. So, I'm recapping every single NFL game this season, uh, just doing short player blurbs, uh, fantasy uh, analysis, if you will, but a lot of a lot of bad jokes in there and kind of just give the stat line. So it's almost a replacement for pulling up like the box scores for every game. You can just pull up my article and scroll down and see pretty much every fantasy relevant player from the Sunday games and in, in uh, yesterday's article and all their stats. And then, some sometimes some useful thoughts too, Pat. <laughs> oh, nice. That's a lot of work, man. That's uh, are you up into the wee hours every Monday morning banging this out? I uh, it is a pretty much a full day thing. You know, I get to watch the morning games. I've kind of figured a system out where I, I frame out my article. I'll kind of get a general introduction and I'll write all the players' names down, and then I'll go back through after the morning games after I get to watch all those and start jotting down all their stats and some thoughts. So I'm pretty quick at it, but it is a pretty much a full day thing. So 
Uh, I enjoy doing it though. I, and it, it actually, it takes away from the, uh, this like irrational fantasy football stress that I think a lot of us have where we, I, I, you probably don't because you're such a professional Pat, but like I'll, with my home league, I get so into it and like so frustrated when I feel like I've got such a good team and these guys are beating me with these scrub squads, you know, I just get so overinvested in it. And when I'm writing these, these roundups, it really seems to take away from that. And I'm, feel much more lighthearted about my fantasy matchups that should be that way anyway. You know, it's a game. Oh yeah. That's, that's uh good. No, I've gotten Jay to do it. And, and this year tested that. I mean, I started, so I've got him in like 20 or 25 leagues total. If you factor in everything, the, the league ones, the, uh, or, or not the league ones, the industry ones, the dynasty leagues, but like I've got six redraft leagues that I really care about, including the Scott Fishball. That's the only industry one. Uh, the, the one we talked about that I'm in with uh, Taglier and Barons and Beller and those guys. And then four home leagues with buddies. Across those six leagues this year, I started one in 11 the first two weeks. I mean, it was just like I couldn't have lost more close games. And uh, yeah, so that kind of challenged like my... Uh, <laughs> my, how I felt about all this stuff. And I, I have felt myself getting more like kind of jaded about results over the years. So um, I think I kind of took it in stride. I'm even bouncing back with some of those teams so far, but uh, yeah, it just doesn't bother me the way it used to. Um, and part of that is just sort of knowing you've always got the analysis there to do. Like no matter what, I, I'm still going to be ranking these guys the next day and just rolling with the changes. And, you know, I know I'm going to be looking at things that uh, are reasons why my team suck this year, but uh, so be it. And the weeks just sort of roll on, man. Uh, get jaded over time, I guess. Um, oh, so, okay. definitely. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> that seems almost impossible for you to start 1-11 across those leagues. But uh, I my- know, man. Like. Go ahead. You were going to say? I was going to say my friend and I, who came up with this idea for a fantasy football therapist where you could uh, just complain to the therapist about all your bad. It'd be like a cardboard cutout, maybe like a fat head or something like that, where you just complain for maybe an hour every Monday about all the unlucky beats that you got in the past week. It's hilarious, man, because, I mean, that's exactly it. And, like, no one wants to listen to you talk about your team except maybe the other people in your in your league, and they're not exactly going to feel sympathy. But it's, like, it's funny hearing my son, you know, who uh, already knows, like, why you should fade quarterbacks in, in fantasy drafts and all this, and he's in a league with his buddies, and, like, he'll get these bad beats, and it just, like, drives him crazy, you know? Like, oh, man, he got so lucky. Like, he took that guy, he lucked into that guy, and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, man, it's a high variance game. Got to get used to the uh, idea that sometimes it just isn't going to break your way. All right. So go to rasball.com. Check out Donkey Teeth's game recaps. And uh, Gray, for the record, is Gray Albright. He does mostly baseball. Is that right for Rasball? Yeah. Yeah. Don't ask him about football. He doesn't know football from a volleyball. (laughs) All right. And a, a quick digression on golf. I mentioned that we played together. Uh, So Donkey Teeth's dad... Uh, Donkey Teeth Sr. is a course marshal at a place called Kemper Lakes out here in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. And just to give you an idea of the difficulty level of Kemper Lakes, they played the U.S. Women's Open here in, uh, what, 2018, I think it was. 
and way back when in 1989, they played the PGA Championship there, which uh, Payne Stewart won. May he rest in peace. So Kemper Lakes is hosting men's and women's majors, and I can attest to the difficulty level of this course. It really is an ass kicker. And uh, you are a pretty damn good player, DT, and your dad is a really good player. Um, Just getting to play a course that tough on a somewhat frequent basis, would you say it's made you a better player? Oh, definitely. You, you know, we were talking about this before the show. I actually haven't gotten to play any easy courses this year because playing free golf at a course of that caliber is just too hard to pass up. So I played a lot there. And um, I told you I played out in Galena, which is uh, northwest of Chicago, about three, two and a half, three hours. And there's some tough courses out there. So I haven't really gotten to. Um, reap the benefits of playing a tough course like Kemper. Actually, I've, I've been frustrated because part of the reason it's so hard is the greens and you experienced that the greens were so fast, everything's so difficult around the greens. And then when you go to another course where the greens are substantially slower, it's a really tough adjustment. So that part uh, doesn't necessarily translate, but the, the tightness and the undulation of the greens and the chipping around the greens is is all stuff that yeah when you go to another course boy it it just makes it feel like you're playing a whole different game yeah i got to say what really impressed me about your game and i a, a course like that is going to just smack you around and beat you up and uh you know like you didn't during the round we played together like you you hit some errant tee balls and stuff like that, but you would like recover really nicely. Anytime you got yourself into any bit of trouble, like your next shot was always a good one. Like I, I don't think you hit two bad shots in a row the whole time. And, um, boy, I, I always think back to that. Uh, what's the first par three? Is that like number three or number four? Number three. Yeah. Yeah. Over the water. Yeah. Short little one over this water, and the green is like long from left to right, very shallow uh, back to front, especially on the ends. And they had the pin set up on this sucker pin position uh, on the right side. So it's a, a pond right in front of the pin and a bunker like, you know, 30 feet behind the pond. Just this tiny little patch of, of, green that uh donkey teeth decides to go for with a nine iron it is short you know it's a short hole so he tries to hit a nine iron and comes up short and goes in the pond and then the drop area is like an even harder shot like i hate those little half wedge shots and like you're you're putting like a across the you know far length of this pond sort of onto this same little small knob of green and uh you wind up like hitting this great shot and i think you like you know cruelly lipped out your bogey putt or whatever but like that little pitch shot from the drop area was one of the better shots i think i've i've seen anyone hit this year i appreciate that um yeah i was gonna bring up that i missed the putt for sure (laughs) (laughs) of course man you hit a, a great shot like that and uh you know you're destined to miss the next one that's golf all right dt back to football uh what are a couple of the things that you were wrong about back in august Oh man, there's so many. <laughs> well, the the biggest one is Carryon Johnson, and actually, it started over the winter. Uh, I was big on Carryon Johnson uh, prior to the draft. I really didn't think the Lions were going to invest in another running back, and uh, 
so I had to take my lumps when they drafted DeAndre Swift, first of all, and I did, but I was still in on Carrion Johnson. I felt that that kind of gave us a, a really nice buying opportunity in a this weird COVID season. So I was I was all about Carrion Johnson. I mean, I knew it was going to be a split backfield, um, but I thought the veteran had a little bit of a leg up, and uh, Swift might actually help him. You know, take a little bit of that load, keep him healthy. Then the Adrian Peterson signing came in, and that's when it all really went to hell. So I've got a, I, I mean, I had to drop him in a lot of these redraft leagues, but I have a ton of best ball carry on Johnson shares. So I'd say that he is my biggest whiff. Um, I was, I fell into the Rob Gronkowski trap as well, buying into he's the old Gronk, and he actually he he's looking pretty good now. I think he's turned the corner. Need a little bit of time to acclimate there, but. Um, those Rob Gronkowski shares were not looking very good for the first four weeks either. Yeah, they the Packers actually made him look pretty good yesterday. And uh, no, it, it just, I don't know, the first couple of weeks he looked old. And yesterday he looked, I won't say the old Gronk. You know, he wasn't exactly uh, you know, throwing off tacklers and splitting the seam. and um, But he looked pretty good, man. He was getting open. He was making plays. So I don't know if that's a, a total sunk cost yet. Um, let's let's go to the Lions thing for a second because you were, you know, you mentioned the Adrian Peterson signing, and obviously that kind of spelled doom for Carry On, but like it spelled temporary doom for DeAndre Swift. And there was this hope that with the Lions coming out of the bye week, maybe, maybe after being used exclusively as a passing down back, DeAndre Swift would start getting early down work. And it happened, man. Over 100 yards rushing and two touchdowns in week six. And now Swift has this very appealing matchup coming up against the Falcons in week seven. Do you think the rookie's time has come, or are Matt Patricia and Daryl Bevel going to annoy the hell out of us by giving Adrian Peterson 23 carries in week seven? Yeah, I, I lean more towards the latter. I've been saying it. Actually, since before the Adrian Peterson signing, even being in on Carrion Johnson, I had voiced some concerns about Patricia being Belichick 2.0 with his backfield. I thought it was going to be uh, Bo Scarborough. I thought Bo Scarborough might be the guy stealing all the goal line work and leaving Swift and, and Carrion, you know, kind of out to drive. But the price was so cheap on Carrion for good reason, obviously. He was going in like the 120s, so... 10th round, I figured, what the heck? I thought I thought there was a chance and there wasn't. But uh, yeah, I just, I think that uh, Patricia is going to really jerk us around. And Swift is going to have his games and Peterson's going to have his games. Heck, Carrion might even have a couple of games in there. But uh, I, I really don't trust it. Obviously, Swift is a must add if he got dropped in your leagues just to see. Um, but I'm leaning that way. I, I, I don't trust them. Do you? I definitely don't trust Patricia. I'm hoping this is Daryl Bevel's call, and I'm hoping that he knows that, like, he just cannot, uh, like, it can't go back to the way it was. Swift is too good. And coming into the draft, I mean, Swift was my number two running back behind Jonathan Taylor. Like, I do think he is more talented than Clyde Edwards Alaire. Now, obviously, Clyde got, you know, the much better situation. And I mean, that was, that was the thing about, uh, DeAndre Swift going to the Lions. Everyone was just like, oh, no. You know, like everyone liked this guy, but he goes to the Lions and, uh, you know, not just like the, the stink of Matt Patricia and the organization overall, but just like this 
uh, ambiguous backfield with carry on. And as you said, I mean, they had even talked up Bo Scarborough over the winter as, as having some sort of role in this offense and, and Ty Johnson, who knows, like they could have given him a role too. Um, so yeah, it was a bad spot, but man, this guy is just so talented. Like I just, I don't think they can go back to not letting this guy play a significant role in the offense. So I'm, I'm tentatively optimistic that he is going to return at least like running back to value the rest of the way. That wouldn't surprise me. You know, I, I, I'm kind of value him as a, a, a low end RB two, but I, I just am, I'm concerned that the consistency isn't going to be there. Sure. And, and that's true. I mean, there might be some games where if they, although, I mean, maybe this is something we should like the fact that they were up on the Jaguars for pretty much all of that game. And it very easily could have been a spot where they let Adrian Peterson just, you know, touch after touch after touch on early downs and, and get over 20 carries or whatever. But, you know, there was a he had a footprint in that offense for sure. But it was pretty much Swift's show for the most part. And I, that does give me some cautious, cautious optimism, I guess. Um, are you giving up on Baker Mayfield yet? I'm not. I've always kind of been a Baker fan. Um, you know, he had the rib injury this week. That, Cleveland just looks so lost this week. I, I like all the weapons he's got there. I'm still giving him a little bit more leash, but the time is drawing near that that it's that it's getting close, Pat. <laughs> the, I was kind of thinking back to uh, like when he got drafted and everyone was just so shocked that John Dorsey made what everyone thought was the right decision because like everyone was all in for Baker pre-draft. But then again, I remember everyone being all in for Teddy Bridgewater a few years before that. You know, so like we get these things wrong too. Like I know we want to uh, use the uh, take the analytical high road and, and think we're making these uh, great calls on which quarterbacks, how the quarterback should be stacked uh, pre-draft. But I'm starting to think we got it wrong on Baker. Um, I liked him too, but I I just don't know, man. Like I'm not seeing enough of uh, the playmaking ability, and and even in that Dallas game, I mean, the best throw of that game that the Browns made was out of Jarvis Landry's hands. Uh, you know, like there were some plays made for him. This this offense, I I don't know if it really does him any favors, like letting him get into rhythm. I don't know, man. I'm just like I I've not seen enough from the guy since his rookie year to make me think that. I don't know. Pretty much, he was great after the Tyrod concussion early on, and uh, you know we have just not seen any follow up from him since then. So I'm luckily I'm not too invested in Baker. I don't think I have him even in any dynasty leagues. So um, there's nothing really for me to walk away from. But I think if you've got him on any of your dynasty teams, uh, you're not just going to release him. But you know if you wanted to throw him in as a uh, add on to some other deal. I wouldn't blame you a bit. Um, can Travis Fulgham be relevant after the Eagles start getting guys like Jalen Rager, Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson back from injury? I guess my first question would be, are they ever going to get Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson back from injury? 
<laughs> That's a good question, man. I thought I could have sworn Alshon was practicing with them like three weeks ago. And right. He still can't get cleared. Yeah. Um, I think that if they do, even if they get two of the three, I think Fulgham is, has earned himself some leash. You know, when a guy comes in and performs like this and shows this kind of connection with the quarterback, I, I don't think it's going away. I, uh, yeah, the, the target share is obviously – going to go down at some point, um, especially if Rager gets gets healthy and becomes what we all thought he was going to be. But I think Fulgham's got a role. And uh, yeah, I think if he's available in your league still, you got to add him at this point. Yeah. So it, I guess it worries me that if Rager comes back at 100%, that like he could wind up being the alpha and that might sort of limit the potential for Fulgham in a, you know, what might not be an explosive passing offense. Although, I mean, now there's even the window cracks open even wider for Fulgham with this Zach Ertz injury. He's going to miss multiple weeks. I don't think Dallas Goddard is going to be ready to come back in week seven. So we could see yet another day of double digit targets for um, Fulgham in week seven. And you know, I think I saw somewhere too that they are planning on giving Fulgham the starting split end role, the starting X receiver role, even after Alshon gets back, which, you know, might make sense considering that, well, one, Alshon can't stay healthy. And number two, I think, uh, you know, it wasn't the old Alshon Jeffrey we were getting last time we saw him healthy. So I agree, man. Um, I was a little worried about him last week just because I, I wondered whether he would be able to, I don't know, carve out a niche for himself when these guys start coming back. But now I, I'm kind of a believer after basically three good weeks. Uh, I think he's got a role for sure. Sounds like sounds like we're on the same page there coming into this week. I was not really a believer. You know, you brought up something that I, I wanted to ask you about here, Pat, with the, the tight end position there in Philly with Ertz likely as a Thursday game this week. Ertz out and can't imagine Goddard's going to be back. Uh, there has been like no news about his recovery. So, is Richard Rodgers is he a uh, legitimate starting option in in like a, a twelve team league here? I, I need a I need a player. I've got Gasicki on by, and actually, I might need to drop Gasicki anyway. Uh, I'm looking at Richard Rodgers as a potential streamer for this week with those two out, or maybe Trey Burton look good. Yeah, well, I you know Burton is interesting. I mean he. We've uh, gotten this shell game from the Colts with their tight end position now for multiple weeks with sort of Ali Cox, Mo Ali Cox looking like he was going to be a star. And then all of a sudden, like they've got him running five or six routes a week. Uh, Jack Doyle comes back. Someone people were on preseason, but who seems to have no value anymore. And it does seem to be this Trey Burton resurrection. Um, you know, I, I've not liked Frank Reich's play calling too much so far this year, but uh, if he can sort of reinvigorate Burton and get him remember when Burton was with the Eagles that Super Bowl year and everyone thought he was going to be like this future tight end one for some other team once he left and it yeah, just kind of didn't work out <laughs> yeah exactly yeah the, the Bears and their uh star-crossed recent past with anyone who's played the tight end position for them but yeah man it does seem like the Trey Burton thing really is happening I think he's probably a better player than Rodgers. I don't know, man. I mean, like he's Rodgers is probably going to get some targets in the Eagles. 
dude, that guy is so slow. Like he is like offensive lineman slow. And, uh, you know, even though he has caught Hail Marys from Aaron Rodgers for, uh, well, one memorable Hail Mary for a touchdown. I don't know, man. There's just not a lot of uh, playmaking potential there. So I'm a little bit skeptical. Um, what about Henry Ruggs third? Are you optimistic that he can be a consistent performer? Maybe consistent isn't the right word from him since last we saw him. He was turning uh, three targets into two catches for, what, 117 yards and a touchdown. So um, maybe it's not consistency, but are we going to get enough big plays from him to make it worth uh, our while if we're investing on him in the waiver wire this week or, or even considering putting him in the lineups? Yeah, I think so. I mean, when you see Ruggs out there on the field, he he looks different. He looks different, especially than all the other receivers on on the uh, the Raiders team, which I don't. They're they're kind of non-existent. You got Hunter Renfro, who looks like looks a little bit like my dad. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think that Ruggs. Um, I agree. Consistency could be an issue, as as it is typically with all rookie wide receivers. I mean, even. Justin Jefferson's probably going to have his duds and CeeDee Lamb's probably going to have his duds. But uh, Ruggs could be right there in that mix, uh, mainly due to the lack of other options. You know, it, it's Darren Waller and it's it's Henry Ruggs. And then, yeah, they, they seem to like Renfro, but I just don't think he's in the same kind of talent realm as, as Ruggs is. So I, I'm buying, um, you know, he's a nice wide receiver two option if you're in a bi-week bind kind of thing. Yeah, and one thing I'm, going to be really interested in seeing is whether like I don't want him to be just this nine route guy for the Raiders like Alabama used him on like shorter stuff and I kind of hope that they can manufacture some touches for him where Carr can get him the ball within um you know we we like these average depths of target to be deep but like for rugs I actually want some of these easy touches where he's getting little crossers or little bubble screens and uh you know get him the easy completion and let him do some magic with that speed. So uh, last one, DT, AJ Green, is there any hope after 11 targets, eight catches, and 96 yards on Sunday? Well, I'm not going to say there's no hope. When you get 11 targets, there's got to be some degree of hope, but I'm not buying it. I'm, I'm really not buying it. He seems... He seems behind uh, Boyd, both Boyd and T. Higgins there, and I'm concerned that they're just showcasing him to to get him out of town for whatever the heck they can get right now. So that's kind of my read on it. Could be totally wrong, and, and maybe A.J. Green has a resurgence here, but he's certainly no uh, lock to be healthy, even if he is getting you know eight to ten targets each week. So I'm not buying it. No thanks. I'm with you, man. Uh, if T. Higgins had been, you know, if he had had any rookie struggles since he started to come on, but I mean, he just looks fabulous. So I can't imagine that A.J. Green is going to be able to shoehorn his way into relevance here. Uh, well, Donkey Teeth, this has been great, man. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Yeah. Before you run, uh, could you remind everyone where they can find you? Oh, I am at Twitter, uh, on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at DonkeyTeeth87. And over at Rasball, uh, my weekly rankings are posted every Thursday morning. And then I've got a recap, uh, Monday night football recap, Thursday night football recaps, uh, and then the whole, the big Sunday one. So come on over. We've also got uh, rest of season rankings, which uh, 
I got a really good team of writers, Pat, to to come on and do each position uh, weekly rest of season rankings, which I, I'm loving what they're putting out. So come on over and check that stuff out. Yeah, man. Be sure to check it all out at rasball.com and find Donkey Teeth on Twitter again at Donkey Teeth 87. DT, thanks again, my man. Appreciate it. And I will uh, be talking to you real soon. Thanks, Pat. Okay, people, that's the show. My thanks once again to this week's guest, Donkey Teeth, part of the terrific staff at rasball.com. Find him on Twitter at Donkey Teeth 87. And of course, I have to thank my excellent producer, Calm Kelly. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Special thanks to my colleague and good friend, Melissa Jacobs of thefootballgirl.com. Find her on Twitter at thefootballgirl. And as always, thank you to International Jet Set for the music. And you, my friends, I offer my humble thanks to you for tuning in. I couldn't ask for a better group of listeners. You've been very supportive, and I really do appreciate you. Oh, and one more thing. I did promise a shout-out to my buddy Posse in Finland. If you happen to be in Helsinki this fall, or if you happen to speak Finnish, check out the Tailgate podcast with Mika Lorela. Posse does some co-hosting on that show as a fantasy analyst. He's been a Twitter buddy of mine for a while now. Really good dude. And I have to say, that's one of the best things about doing fantasy football analysis. You get to interact with some really cool people, be it on Twitter or uh, email, and just people you would have never met otherwise. And while America is indeed a very divided country these days, all of these interactions I have with people over fantasy football, um, and some of these interactions spin into other topics as well, it does make me optimistic that we can get back into a, I don't know, less divisive, more civil phase here in the United States. Maybe get back into an actual state of unity. All right, sorry to get all cheesy on you. This is just a dumb fantasy football show after all. Anyway, I will be back again next week with another great guest. Can't wait to have you here with me. Good luck in week seven, everyone. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.